On today's show, we get one step closer to mainstream sports returning. Plus, we look back at some of our favorite sports moments of our lifetime. This man was a bona fide scrub. Welcome back to the Bonafide Scrubs podcast. We have a fun Friday edition of the show for today. And each day we get a little bit more good news, a little bit closer to the return of mainstream sports as the NBA has begun opening its facilities for teams to return. So Kevin Arnovitz has an article in ESPN for today about what it's like at the Blazers facility as those players begin to come back and start practicing again. And basically what he outlines is uh, they have a rotation system for their team where four players will spend 90 minutes at the practice center at a, to- at a time. And then each, rot- each rotation will ensure that they won't come in contact with one another. So basically what they have is, a, is one player working with one coach and they uh, work at one basket and that's all they can do. They can't go to the locker room. They can't um, use any of the training facilities where like uh, they use the ice baths or even take a shower. They can't do any of that. They're only allowed to work on the court with one coach. I think this is uh, good. I think any news at this point to having basketball or any sport return is good. But the one thing that I wonder is how we're going to go in about a month or a little bit longer than a month from one player working with one coach and not interacting with anybody else to having full you know, playoff competition, five on five teams traveling to a, an arena playing against each other, touching one basketball. I just don't know how we go from what it is currently to just full regular scenario. So, no, I don't know what you think. I don't know if you think this is going to be possible to do uh, in such a short period of time. Yeah, there's only a few weeks they have left. They're going to start the season in July, but the NBA, they it looks like they're interested in, start, they're interested in going to the playoffs instead of finishing the regular season, but LeBron and players have voiced that they don't want to just start in the playoffs because they're not really ready. If they're not even getting five and five at full experience, if they're only allowed to work with one coach and not use any of the team facilities. I just, I don't see how, I don't see what's going to change in the period of time between now and even whenever the playoffs start, whether that's one month, two months, however many weeks, what that's, what's going to happen in order to, for them to feel comfortable uh, allowing players to all, uh, be together and play together at the same time. But in order to get to that point, we have to figure out what the playoff format or what the format for the rest of the season is even going to be. An article by Zach Lowe in ESPN uh, laid out a couple of scenarios for the postseason. Uh, one of them is just skip the regular season, go right to the playoffs, one through eight in each conference, just like it always is. Another one is uh, to have them reseeded one through 16, regardless of their, regardless of their conference. You just have the 16 uh, best teams in the NBA. They would match up like an NCAA tournament, 116, 215, et cetera. Uh, and another one is to have a play-in tournament. The Western Conference 8 seed is pretty close in the standings. So those te- they want to give those teams a fair shot to compete for the, uh, the last spot. So those are the three main scenarios it seems like they're laying out. Uh, Noah, what, what is your favorite one of these? I personally dislike the reseeded one to 16. I don't know. It just doesn't feel as, I don't know. It doesn't feel as legit. 
it kind of destroys the whole conference thing and won the 16. It should be really weird to see the uh, who's the best team, the Bucks. They have the best record. And I don't know who would be the 16th best team. But it, it would just be weird because we could have a Lakers-Clippers final if they reseed the teams. And that just doesn't feel as fair to the Bucks or whatever Eastern Conference teams because they may have to go through more West teams and it would be harder for them to get to the finals. Yeah, we sort of miss out on these on the playoff rivalries that have been uh, getting established through the season. Uh, you know, if we have a Laker, the Lakers Clippers, that seems like um, sort of a guarantee Western conference finals. And who knows, we might not even get that matchup at all, whether it's the bucks knocking out one of those teams or another team. So, yeah, I don't, I think I, I do kind of like it because it's, it's very different. I think it's exciting to see. I think the NBA has brought up, the one through 16 scenario before, before this all even happened. And, uh, you know, maybe this is a good chance for them to test it out. But again, it, it is going to mess around with some of the, the playoff rivalries and the potential matchups we could get uh, if it was just a regular, regular seating. Yeah. I, I just personally like the old, the original format, Eastern conference champion versus the Western conference champion. It's just kind of weird if you do one to 16, we could see a team like the Boston Celtics play like, I don't know, the Oklahoma City Thunder in the first round. That's just, that's just weird. Like, I want to see Celtics play the Sixers and their rivals who they, they always compete very hard against and want to be really badly. So it, it, would just, it would just ruin a little bit of the fun, I think. But I do, in general, I do think that the NBA regular season, they should just play the last 10 games and finish that out correctly to get all the right seedings done. Because I know Damian Lillard, he voices distress for this. He did not enjoy that they would just skip right to the playoffs, and he didn't want to come back for the uh, coming back to Disney to play the last couple of games. So it, the Blazers are like, I don't know, like 10th or 11th in the West. It would just feel like a more fair method if they do not go straight to the playoffs because teams like the Pelicans – and the Blazers would be left out, even though they're only a few games behind the eighth-seeded Memphis Grizzlies. So I think it, I think it would be more fair for everyone. Or I think they should just do what the NHL did and add some more playoff teams. The NHL is 24 teams, which goes into their playoff method, which is they're having 24 teams. So the Eastern Conference, the top four teams are these – the Bruins, the Lightning, the Capitals, and the Flyers. And there'll be a round robin between those top four teams to decide who gets the one seed. Do you think the NBA would ever adapt that part, or would they not? Uh, I don't know. I think uh, – I don't know how the players are going to feel about that. I think at this, they're that far into the regular season. They might feel that uh, everything they worked for up to that point has been wasted if they just sort of – say forget about the one thing that the NHL method sort of forgets about is everything up until this point, they sort of just restart with the 24 teams. They don't really care about the regular season. I think NBA players are going to be less uh, accepting of just forgetting about everything they worked through uh, to get to this point. Another thing about the NBA method and about skipping right to the playoffs is that you have to incentivize these other teams and players to come back who are not going to compete for a playoff spot. If you do end up, you know, just having a cutoff and not have any sort of play-in method. So that's what players like Lillard and other players are complaining about, that 
they're not going to come back and play if they're not really playing for anything. I think that's a problem that the NBA needs to sort of look into if they're going to uh, bring all the teams back. Yeah, as you stated earlier in the week, they need to play, the NBA needs to play 70 regular season games to get their full or get their regional TV contracts. So maybe the NBA could threaten the players and take some more money out of uh, the players' contracts to make them come back. They could threaten them like that. I don't know if that would go well because Silver, he's a players' uh, commissioner and he wants what's best for the players. So if the players say, well, a lot of teams are like, nah, we're not coming back, uh, that teams are out of the playoff race, then so be it. Silver might just have to skip to the playoffs and do whatever method he would like to do. Threatening the players or going against the players is in the best interest of of any league, as we've seen in baseball, the owners and players really can't get on the same page. And for some reason, that's being made public. And it's, it's been a big problem for the sport. And, you know, things are looking, um, things aren't looking very good uh, to begin baseball. So I think going up, going against the players and not really uh, allowing them to have a say in what happens, uh, that's probably a bad look for your, for your league. And it sort of stops any negotiation from going forward. Yeah, it's just very hard with the NBA and their contract situation. But with the NHL, as I stated earlier, they're going to have a 24 team, so they're kicking out the seven worst teams. They basically have no chance anyway in made, making the playoffs. As I stated earlier, the East, so each conference, there's obviously eight playoff teams, just like the NBA. But they're adding four uh, new teams to each conference, so for a total of 24 so basically, seeds 9, 10, 11, and 12 are getting a chance. This would help the NBA and help Lillard and Pelicans, the Pelicans and all those teams coming back. So I don't know why uh, the top four teams have to play around Robin. So the East, as I talked about like a few minutes ago, the Bruins, Lightning, Capitals, Flyers, all just going to play each other once to see who gets the top seed. And then in the, West, well, the Western Conference, we're going to see the Blues, Avalanche, Golden Knights, and Stars play each other to see who gets that top spot. But then the NHL did a little interesting. So in the Eastern, so the qualifying rounds, so as I only stated, eight playoff teams. So the other 16 are going to fight basically to get into the playoffs and get their seeding. So this is a little interesting reseeding idea. Maybe the NBA could follow, but the qualifying rounds – our best of five series in the Eastern Conference, we have the number five seed, the fifth in the Eastern Conference, the Pittsburgh Penguins, playing the 12 seed Montreal Canadiens, or the worst Eastern Conference playoff team that got in. And then the sixth seed, Carolina Hurricanes, taking on my number 11 New York Rangers, who actually were swept the season series against the Hurricanes. And number seven, the New York Islanders got in to play the number 10 seed Florida Panthers. The number eight seed Maple Leafs versus the number nine Panthers. I'll go into the West in a second, but Will, what do you think of this playoff method? Do you, I, I think it could create some exciting matchups, new matchups we haven't seen before. And basically, it's fair because the seven worst teams they didn't really they they have no business being there. Like I like seeds one to twelve having a chance to find their real seeding here, and best of five is fair to decide it. I think, and we're gonna see some new interesting playoff matchups. Yeah, I like the bottom half of this method. I like uh, a lot, sort of allowing the most teams as possible to compete. I don't know how I feel about um, whatever you said. The top four, they have to 
they have to play it out for the for the number one seed, right? Is is that yes. what happens in this the round robin? They have to. They all play each other once, uh, from what I read. So, yeah, the the side seeds one through four. Yeah, I don't really know what the purpose of that is. I think you just seed them one through four, and then have the winners of the bottom four matchups uh, move on to play uh, any one of those teams. So I think, I think they might. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's a reason why uh, they maybe um, the top four teams need to play more games in order to fulfill some sort of uh, contract obligation. But yeah, if we were to adapt this method to uh, the NBA, I don't think they would need to do uh, a top four uh, round robin. Plan. I think they round robin, right? They I think they could just leave it as it is and have the the lower seeds compete, and then they just move on to play the the top seeds in another matchup. Yeah, the round robin top four. That's kind of weird because I feel like the NHL is not rewarding the best teams, you know, because the Bruins, they're the best team in the East. Why should they play Tampa, Washington, Philadelphia all again just to earn the one seed again? Like, I feel like they earned it with the NBA. They're making sure that the Lakers or Clippers or whatever, whoever ends up with the one seed, earns the one seed and they get reseeded into their playoff format. Same with the Bucks. So I just thought that was a little weird there. But. Moving on to the Western Conference in the NHL, so round robin between the Blues, Avalanche, Golden Knights, and Stars. And then the rest of the playoff teams, so the, the fifth seed Edmonton Oilers are playing Chicago Blackhawks, a 12th seed. So then the Nashville Predators, a sixth seed, are taking on the 11th seed Arizona Coyotes. Number seven, Vancouver Canucks versus the 10th seed Minnesota Wild. And then last but not least, the eighth seed Calgary Flames taking on the number nine seed Winnipeg Jets. So we're going to see a lot of new matchups here. This format creates a lot of new, interesting stories for the season, I think. And it's, it's actually kind of good that they didn't go back to the regular season because playoff hockey, I feel like that is what needs to be shown on the big stage. You even texted me a few days ago that, wow, you were like, wow, I might even watch hockey because it's coming back. And playoff yeah. hockey is great, so... This is great for the NHL to put their product on the big stage, not caring about the regular season, and give us giving us fun, refreshing matchups in the playoffs. Yeah, I wonder why this hasn't been brought up at all um, in the NBA scenarios, because in the Zach Lowe article from before, uh, they had no mention of sort of expanding the amount of teams that can compete in the playoffs. It was just either the regular playoff format or just completely reseeding at one through 16. So I wonder why they haven't uh, had any talks of just in allowing more teams to compete in the playoffs. Yeah. So with the NBA, they want 16 teams. I just, they're not being clear about what they exactly want because I really like the NHL's idea. They did a great job laying out all the matchups and the ideas with the NBA. I don't know why it's taking so long for them to decide something. They got to get going on their season. And Silver, I mean, if he really, if he wants to change the playoff format, it would be the best in a situation to decide that this season with the pandemic and this, this kind of weird season we're seeing, he might as well try it. And if it doesn't work, then if it, we're not going to see it in future seasons, but if it does work, we can see it in future seasons and maybe spice up the playoffs and everything. But I, I just feel like the NBA, I just I want to see more tra- I want to see a traditional playoff and regular season games. Because some of those more basketball the better. More money for the players too. So 
I don't see what's wrong with that. Yeah, I don't know why it's taking the NBA so long to come up with a format. It, the NHL is the first league, the first main league, um, to really uh, release an official uh, step to move forward. The, the MLB hasn't done anything remotely close to that. They have a bigger task to fit in an entire season somehow. But yeah, the NBA is in the same position as the, the NHL. Uh, I don't know why it's really taking them so long to, to just uh, come up with a solution. If the NHL can do it, uh, the NBA can do it too. They they overlap in many aspects. They have a lot of the same. Uh, they have a similar playoff format. Uh, uh, normally, when things are not uh, the way they are now, so yeah, I, I I'm just confused as to why they've taken so long in making a decision here. Yeah, the the owners and players need to get on the same page. But the thing I really like about the NHL playoff format is they're adding eight new teams, as I talked about earlier, but they're giving more teams a chance and the NBA is not, it looks like as of now. So more teams with a chance, in, uh, which will incentivize more fans to watch and it can bring in, in more games, obviously with more teams, they can bring in more TV ratings, which can help them bring up the cap and stuff. So the NBA, they're out they have The players obviously lost like 25% of their contract. So why wouldn't they just like let play 10 regular season games Go with the playoffs with one with uh one to eight in each conference, and then go try to get the maximum amount of TV ratings and, and games in there to help their salary cap for the next season because it's definitely going down. Yeah, the one problem with that is those teams that are just going to play their regular season games, they're not going to want to. So I think the NHL's method of expanding the playoff format to allowing more teams to more teams to compete is really the only solution you have. You incentivize the players to play. You get a lot more games in, so that's gonna uh, improve your ratings and everything like that. And uh, it just it gets things moving. I think that's I think this NHL method is really gonna benefit uh, these other team uh, the other leagues, and they should sort of reach a similar conclusion as we go forward. Yeah, the NBA definitely should have copied the NHL platform. I believe great idea giving all the almost like all the teams uh incentives to play it's fair gains more money i see i see only benefits to the 2014 playoff in the nba it gives lillard and beal on those uh, frisk uh or fringe teams on the playoff on the eighth seed so definitely definitely is going to help them out in the long run they're uh being incentivized to play so with the NBA slowly moving along and the NHL already deciding what their fate is going to be, the MLB and the players and owners are not on the same page. The owners proposed a big pay cut for all the players. So if you make 563000 up to $1 million, you will get 72% of that uh, money. So you're losing 28%. And then if you make $1 million to $5 million, you'll get 50% of that. And if you make 5 billion to 10 million, you'll get only 40% of that. So it keeps decreasing. So 10 million to 20 million, you will only make 30%. And then 20 million and up, like the Mike Trouts of the world, the Nolan Arenados, Aaron Judge. Or, actually, no, not Aaron Judge. He doesn't make that much. <laughs> yeah, like Garrett Cole. Uh, how about? Yes, Garrett Cole. <laughs> He will get only 20%, and that is very bad because 
the MLB needs to start treating their players better if they actually go through with this because Trout and all these stars are the reason why MLB uh, fans watch their favorite teams because they have very good players on them that get paid a lot. And if you're taking it away from your best players, they're going to be pissed and not want to come back. It's going to be interesting to see um, if uh, these top players who get most of their salary cut are going to really complain about it because the public nature of everything going on in the MLB has been really bad so far. And uh, I don't think these, uh, these players who sort of are the faces of the sport want to continue to uh, ruin this image of baseball any more than that has been happening already. So I wonder if it's, if it's in their best interest to just agree to having their salaries cut and allowing the, um, players who are uh, uh, paid less than them to get more of their full salary or what what their response to this really will be. Yeah, the players, this isn't a very good offer. I think it's a little extreme for the MLB to propose this so early also. The players, if they accept this, they're seriously bowing down to the owners in the league. And I don't think they want to do that because they want their money. We saw Blake Snell on his Twitch stream Voices' opinion about coming, risking coming back during the coronavirus and wanting to get his money. He's, I think, he only makes about five to ten million, so he'd be only getting forty percent. And there is no tax. I mean, there is tax on that, obviously, but he plays in Florida, so there is no state income tax there. But for other players that play in New York or somewhere else like LA, the taxes are going to be extremely high, and they're going to lose even more money than this percentage indicates. Another proposal that I heard was that what what if uh, they go through with the season, they play the season, they see how much revenue is cut uh, or how much revenue the owners lose throughout the season, whether it's 20%, 30%, or 50% or whatever the number is, then they cut the players' contracts based on the loss of revenue. What do you think about that? I do actually agree with your point there that they should just play the season. And I don't know why they're proposing a contract and money like certain percentages to the players before the season even plays because we don't know how much money they're exactly going to make from the season. They got to do 82 games and then their style of playoffs, whatever that is, if the owners make a lot more money or make a lot of money, they could definitely uh, pay way more than uh, way better than these percentages. We all, I, I do believe that, fans uh like income like uh fans merchandise fans attending the stadium daily that's 40 percent of their revenue so they are losing all of that 40 percent so they get a max of 60 percent of money but honestly if they do end up expanding the playoffs i think it's 14 teams or 12 or whatever they want to do with that if they expand to like 20 let's say or more like the nhl and give it a more even playing field for the teams after their 82-game season. They'll help definitely give the owners more money, more TV time and revenue, and that could lead to more happier stars and players getting what they exactly want from the league and their owners. Yeah, that seems like the most fair way to do it. You just see how much money comes in, and then... uh, you distribute it to the players based on whatever percentage they lost. So if the owners end up losing 50% of their expected revenue, the players lose 50% of their expected salary because 
then that would just be even. I think the one the problem in baseball is that the players don't trust the owners to uh, give them a fair share. So they don't, whether however much money they lose, they think that the owners are going to basically be lying to them and say they lost a lot more than they really did in order to pay the players less. Yeah, that definitely could be a possibility. But could you imagine being a superstar like Garrett Cole, who just signed his massive, massive contract with the Yankees, and then the coronavirus happens and ruins our lives, and then the MLB says to one of their marquee pitchers in a marquee place of New York, and they say, Garrett, you're only going to make 20 mil, dude. Or not 20 mil, sorry. You're only going to get 20% of your contract, dude. He's going to be furious because he just signed that contract and he's playing in New York. He feels like he deserves it. The Yankees are one of the better teams. They're definitely going to be bringing in revenue from the playoffs. So it just, it just stinks, especially for the star players in this league. And even the players that don't get paid that much, like people like on rookie contracts and going pay, getting paid through arbitration, like Aaron Judge, Francisco Lindor, they're going to be paid not that much money. They're going to be like, why am I even playing at this point? I'm not getting paid like anything to play the game. Yeah, it's an unfortunate uh, situation for everybody involved. The owners are going to uh, make less money. The players are going to make less money. But it's going to be more unfortunate if you know, we get no baseball. They don't get to make any money at all. So I think they should just, they need to be able, they need to reach a conclusion soon um, if we're really going to get full baseball this year. How many more weeks do you think the MLB negotiations will be going on for well? I would think probably upwards of uh, one to two weeks. And it's going to get, it could get sped up if uh, these other leagues like the NBA and the NHL get going faster. And it could get slowed down if the other leagues don't reach a conclusion. But I think baseball, they need to get, uh, everything done within the next couple of weeks if they're going to have uh, any sort of full season and make any sort of money. Yeah, because NHL, they decided on their playoff format already, as we saw. They're deciding to play in the middle of July, and the NBA is slowly thinking of new methods, going here and there with what they want to do with their star players. They already discussed hubs. The hub is Disney. The NHL has decided on hubs, and the MLB wants to play uh, games in their home ballparks so we're just gonna have to wait and see when the NHL and NBA start it's gonna put a lot of pressure on the MLB because they're losing out on money on time and the MLB is losing out on money to market their league okay so on this Friday edition of the show we're gonna be counting down our top five favorite sports moments of our lifetime I have five Noah has six because he has an honorable mention so he can go first with my first honorable mention it is Patrick Kane, American-born player of the Chicago Blackhawks, the seven, ten years ago, by the way. He, in the Stanley Cup Finals, Game 6 on the road in overtime, he scored the game-winning goal in, at Philadelphia to seal the series and the Blackhawks celebrate on the ice in front of Philadelphia. This moment meant a lot to me in hockey. Even though I'm not a Blackhawks or Flyers fan or whatever because I'm a big Rangers fan, but that was NHL about 10 years ago. It was my favorite sport, and I used to always – I was obsessed with the Rangers. I used to watch it as my dad. And so that was like my real first season of watching hockey. And the last game of the season, the Rangers were playing the Flyers. 
and whoever won that game was going to be in the playoffs. And the Rangers lost on a in, a, in the shootout, and that made me furious. I hated the Flyers' guts. I still hate them today. And the Flyers, I just wanted them to lose to whoever they play in the playoffs. They won their first round playoff series, the Flyers. Then round two, I know that they were they were playing the Boston Bruins, and they were down three games to none. And they somehow came back and won, and I was just screaming. And then they played the Montreal Canadiens in the East Finals. And I was like, oh, come on. Yeah, no way the Flyers are winning this series too. Like, come on. They ended up winning that series, and they played the Blackhawks, who I I respect the Blackhawks a lot. They're one of the original six teams. I like Patrick Kane, a lot of their players. And Patrick Kane scored the game-winning goal to kill the Flyers – and end their hope in the Stanley Cup Finals Game 6. And I was just very excited. It was the first Stanley Cup Finals I really got to experience. And as I, I like rooting for the Blackhawks a lot, just like the Rangers. So it was awesome to see the team I hate lose to the Blackhawks. So thank you, Patrick Kane, for putting away the Flyers. Thank you. That's a pretty funny honorable mention. I definitely don't have any hockey moments on my list. So... We cover that base. But my number five is Lynn Sanity. And as a Knicks fan, this is really the first positive moment I could look to uh, watching. It was, I don't even remember what year it was. What was it, like 2011, 12? He made those 12 starts before the All-Star break, averaging over 22 points, almost nine assists per game. He had uh, multiple game winners in that stretch. They went nine and three. And uh, yeah, Lynn Sanity, definitely a top five moment in terms of, something happening for my favorite team, uh, the New York Knicks. So, yeah, I actually had the same exact moment as you, Lynn Sanity, number five for me. This was awesome. He outplayed Kobe at the Garden. There was a lot of great moments. Like, Lynn Sanity, it could be considered an honorable mention for me because it's not one specific moment, if you think about it, but he hit that game winner in Toronto. That could be solidified as the individual moment there, but... Yeah, that really got uh, the sports world. I feel like everyone bonded at that time. Even my mom like doesn't even watch basketball. She's interested in watching Nick games because she liked Jeremy Lin. And she liked reading articles about him. So I, that was a great moment for the NBA. And, I, that, of course, Lin Sandy died after that. Well, he didn't die. Like, he left the Knicks after that season <laughs> because Melo – Drew, drew him out. Mello was salty because he was getting not that much attention because he was actually injured when Linsanity was happening. So that was a great moment. And in the next season, the Knicks, we all know, they made the playoffs and had a little bit of a run there, but that got cut short by the Pacers. Yep, my number four moment is another Knicks moment, and it is Mello's 62-point game at the Garden against the Bobcats. That was on January 24, 2014. And, uh, yeah, he broke the record. For most points at the Garden by any player. I think uh, Kobe had that record before him. And uh, he hit the half-court shot at the buzzer at the end of the first half. I think he had like 37 points at the end of the first half. And uh, yeah, it's the greatest scoring performance at Madison Square Garden. The one thing that I forgot about this moment was that the Knicks were actually worse than the Bobcats at the time. The Bobcats had 19 oh my wins. God. And the Knicks had 16 wins. So yeah, uh, the Knicks, added, they won that game by almost 30 points, but at that point in the season, the Bobcats had more wins than the Knicks, which I thought was funny. That was 2014, right, you said? Yeah. Yeah, that was the downfall of the Knicks there with uh, 
they traded for Bargnani. And that's when Phil was hired as president, I believe. And uh, yeah, we all know what happened to Phil Jackson, uh, the Knicks fiasco there. But yeah, Mello, I remember you posted on your Instagram actually a photo of that, that uh, how he had the half quarter before halftime. Definitely a great moment. So my number you, four. You didn't have that? You didn't have that anywhere on your list? No, I, di- I didn't actually. Only Lynn Sandy is wow. the next one. So number four, it's going to be Johan Santana's no-hitter for the Mets. And this was in June 2012, a few days before my birthday. I believe this was June 1st, actually. My dad was jokingly like a week before saying, hey, let's go uh, get tickets to this Cardinals game. Johan Santana's pitching. And we didn't end up going, of course. Thank you, Dad. But the Cardinals, <laughs> Johan threw like 125 pitches, a questionable uh, call down the third baseline by the umpire. It may have been a double, may have been foul. I don't know. Uh, you can decide that for yourself. But Johan threw the first no-hitter in Mets history. And I remember watching my dad. We were ecstatic. We were ecstatic. It was great, the first no-hitter in Mets history. And Gary Cohen's call was amazing of the game. And it, it meant a lot because that was the first great Mets moment in my lifetime, I think, that happened in 2012 there. Wow, so you miss going to that game and watching the first no-hitter. I, I know. I, I could have went. That's really unfortunate. All right, well, my number three is sticking with the Knicks trend here. And mean I cheated. It's not really a moment, but is the 2013 Knicks entire season. They went... Uh, 54 and 28, number two seed overall in the East. Um, Carmelo was a scoring champ that year. JR won the sixth man. And it was just a really fun team to watch and really the only good Knicks team that I can look at and say that was a great team. So, yeah, the 2013 Knicks, even though it's not a moment, uh, definitely, deserve, definitely deserve to make my list. As a five, four, and three are all Knicks moments for me, which I didn't really realize until now, but oh well. Yeah, I, I only have one next moment, actually. That's really interesting. So my next moment, number three, it's going to be the Cubs winning the World Series here. Even though I'm not a Cubs fan, it's funny. I have like black, I have an honorable mention of the Blackhawks and the Cubs. I, I guess I, I know. I, I, looked at, I looked at all my favorite teams, and you just looked at overall moments, which is pretty funny. Yeah, well, the Mets are my favorite team. I have more moments. But anyways, another Chicago team. I'm not a Cubs fan, obviously, but I just feel I just felt the pain, the emotion, the ride the Cubs fan had during the 2016 season. My Mets got eliminated by the Giants, I believe, with Bumgarner in the wild card game there. But I rooted for the Cubs. I don't know why anyone root for the Indians in the World Series. The Indians actually took a 3-1 lead, and the Cubs came back. Game seven, I watched the entire thing, the celebration, everything. Uh, it was such a great moment for the Cubs maybe the greatest moment of the entire decade or 21st century over a hundred years. Can you believe they went for a hundred years? I know I'm, we're going to, the Knicks are not going to win for a hundred years and I'm going to be, it's going to be the same scenario for, for me. So they went, so the, the Cubs won game seven and I was like, I can't believe they actually won. That gives me hope with the Mets and the Knicks, but, uh, we're starting to lose hope with the Knicks there. So that is my third moment. All right. So my number two moment is even though I was young, the Yankees winning the World Series in 2009. And this is the only championship out of all my favorite teams that I actually uh, got to be alive for, which is pretty unfortunate if you think about it. But 
<laughs> that the Yankees, their only World Series of my lifetime, despite their uh, crazy history. In that offseason, they signed Mark Teixeira, CeCe Sabathia, and A.J. Burnett, which all played a huge role in that year. Uh, that was one of the best Yankee teams uh, of recent history. So, yeah, the Yankees winning uh, the 2009 World Series is my number two moment. My number two moment has got to be Daniel Murphy's historic playoff run in 2015. He had six straight home runs in six straight games, and David Wright called that Jordan-esque. And he ended up hitting seven home runs that postseason. He batted like 430 in the entire playoffs. And I really thought the Mets were going to win the World Series that year. I thought that was our year. Our pitching was coming around. DeGrom, Harvey was the dark knight in his prime. He was a superstar. He actually threw out the all-star. Or no, that was the year before he threw out the all-star first pitch. But the Mets, they, uh, they beat the Dodgers in the first round. Then in the NLCS, uh, they swept the Cubs. I can't, the Cubs, I, th- I believe they had a better record that year. The Mets won that series. And then they played the Royals, and I thought they were going to win. I really thought, like, Dale Murphy is, like, He's like becoming Mr. November or something. He's becoming Mr. October. Incredible performance. But then they just, the Mets fell apart against the Royals. The Royals proved they're a more disciplined team with the bullpen and hitting the ball very well with two strikes in the count. And the Mets could not win. I really thought that was the Mets' year, and I was going to rub it in your face well and all the Yankee fans if they won. I wonder who had a worse drop-off, Jeremy Lin or Matt Harvey? Probably Matt Harvey because he was actually good. Jeremy Lin was good for like two months. Matt Harvey, like he almost won the Cy Young and he had like a very good career, but now he's on the Angels, like absolutely not doing well. So, yeah, I kind of forgot. Uh, yeah, he, he was the Dark Knight playing. then. All right. Well, my number one moment of my lifetime watching sports is the Minnesota Miracle, as you probably predicted. I am a Vikings <laughs> fan. I was waiting so. for it. Despite, despite the fact that they did not win the Super Bowl, despite Pretty the fact sad. that they got blown out in the next game, uh, <laughs> the Miracle is still easily uh, the best sports moment for me. And it's interesting because there's always those moments you have watching your favorite teams where you sort of you come up with the most sort of insane scenario in your head when they're losing about how they could possibly come back, about you know, all the steps that need to happen in order to make just like a ridiculous comeback. and in this moment, it actually came true. So that, uh, that's a pretty indescribable feeling. And uh, it definitely makes uh, the Minnesota Miracle number one for my list. That's pretty sad, I guess, if it's your favorite moment since they, didn't, they got blown out the game after. But uh, I know, it doesn't yeah, matter. It's, def- it's the best moment it for the Vikings. Matter. It's the best moment. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a crazy game. I thought the Saints were going to win. But... um. Yeah, then Diggs happened. Diggs, sideline touchdown, as we all know what happened there. So my number one moment was no other than my Seattle Seahawks winning the Super Bowl in 2013 season, or the well, February 2014 they won. But they beat the Broncos and Peyton Manning. I, I thought they were going to lose before the game was happening because the Broncos had Peyton Manning and the number one offense. I was scared because they were a lethal team back then. And Russell Wilson was in his second or third year at quarterback. And I wasn't sure what the team was going to do because the Seahawks just squeaked by the 49ers the round before. 
with the Seahawks, it opened up with Payne Manning uh, having a horrible snap from a center, running back in the end zone, and we got a safety right there. And that's basically all the momentum we needed because we ended up blowing them out 43-8. to It was a stress-free free game. I wish I could have won. It was at MetLife. And hopefully I see Russell Wilson lead the Seahawks to another Super Bowl. The Legion of Boom was awesome. And that is definitely my favorite moment. The only team I've out of my favorite teams win a championship. So that's it. Yeah, as somebody who doesn't care about either the Seahawks or the Broncos, it was definitely one of the most boring Super Bowls of uh, at least the 2010s because it was just such a blowout and uh, it wasn't even close. So if you think about all the other Super Bowls we've had in this decade or last decade, um, they've been really good and really close and really competitive. So that's definitely the one that you can just write off as a very boring blowout. Yeah, uh, we've been spoiled with Super Bowls during this decade. And yeah, this was the blowout of the decade, unfortunately for you. But for me, I was riding high. That was that was an awesome day. I hope hopefully <laughs> Russell Wilson can bring us a Super Bowl. I actually really like Peyton Manning. He's probably one of my favorite quarterbacks ever too. And the young guy, Wilson, outdueled him there. So great moment. Definitely number one. I hopefully one day I see a, hopefully the greatest moment of my lifetime is seeing the Knicks win a championship. You can attest to this. Yeah, that'll definitely take my number one spot if uh, if that ever happens remarkably. Yeah, hopefully they uh, win before uh, like 103 years uh, straight, just like the Cubs. They didn't win for like 100-something years. So hopefully the Knicks can bring us uh, a championship one day. All right, well, that has been our top five lists. Maybe we'll do more things like this in the future on other Friday shows. And that has been today's episode of the Bonafide Scrubs podcast. So if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and a review if you're listening on Apple and following us on Twitter at Bonafide Scrubs and on Instagram at The Bonafide Scrubs.